everyone, and welcome to This Mom Loves. I'm Kate Wynn. I'm a mom of two girls, currently 10 and 12. I'm a kindergarten teacher, a blogger, freelance writer, sometimes TV guest, and also a podcaster. This is episode 11 of This Mom Loves, and I'm so happy to have you along. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking about a subscription box that I have started to try and that I'm enjoying. I'll also be talking about giving back and getting your kids involved with giving back in the community and and beyond. And my special guest today is Jenna Herbert. She's an entrepreneur and the author of the brand new book, Make It Happen, The Creative Entrepreneur's Guide to Transforming Your Dreams into Reality. So you are going to want to stick around for that. The first thing I'd like to talk about today is a new subscription box that I've tried out, which is called Frock Box. You can find it at frockbox.ca. And I want to be upfront right from the start that if you do sign up for Frockbox with um, a special discount code for your first month, and the code is This Mom Loves, I do get a little bonus from that. So I just want to make sure I've got full disclosure here. But of course, all of the opinions I share, whether it's on the podcast or on the blog, are always uh, always my own opinions. So Frockbox is a clothing subscription box, and it's called a box, even though it actually comes in a bag, and it can include tops, bottoms, you can get jackets, shoes, jewelry as part of your frock box. I've signed up to just get items of clothing. It's monthly. It's a Canadian business. The sizes in the box range from small to 3XL. You can also choose the price range that you want for your box. When I first signed up, I had said to send a range of items, but then in my first box, There was a really great pair of pants that was $120, and I didn't want to be tempted any further by items like that, so I asked when I wrote back for them to lower my my price point, but you can decide. When you sign up, you fill out a style profile about the sort of things that you like, your height and weight and size and things like that. Also, um, you can share what kind of styles you like. If you've got a Pinterest board, you send a link so that your stylist can get a good idea of what you're interested in. I indicated that I'm looking for clothing that I can wear to teach that also I can wear if I'm going out to dinner or over to a friend's house, those sorts of, those sorts of outings. So those are the kinds of items that I get. My subscription is called a favorites subscription. So there are five mixed items that my stylist chooses for me. I like the fact that it's a surprise. Some people sign up for boxes like this because they don't want to go shopping. And it's not that I hate clothing shopping. It's just, I don't find, I I prioritize spending a lot of time on errands. Any errands I can outsource, I do. And it's also sort of fun to have somebody else picking things out for you and sending you things that they think would look good on you that you can check out. You can skip a month or cancel at any time. There's no minimum number of months that you have to stay along with Frockbox. You get charged a $25 monthly styling fee and that's automatically charged every month. However, if you buy even one item, that $25 gets credited back to you for the item. So if you think you want to commit to buying at least one thing per month, which is sort of my my goal for the next few months while I try it out, then you're not really losing any money on the subscription fee. If you sign up using code this mom loves, you actually don't have to pay the subscription fee for the first month. You don't have to worry about that. So really it's a no risk way to try it out. What you do is you get the bag, you open it up, you try on the items. What I've done the past couple of times is I've taken pictures and put them in my Instagram stories with a little poll for yes or no. I just listed the name of the item and the price. And um, my followers on Instagram have indicated whether they like the clothes or not, which has been really fun. 
and then you just decide what you want to keep. So there are recommendations on a sheet that come in the bag about what items could be paired with what items. The prices are also right there. And you keep what you want and then you put the rest back in the bag. You just peel off a little tag and stick it back down so you use the same bag. And there's actually a return shipping label included too so you don't have to worry about addresses or packaging or anything like that that's already set to go and then you just pop back in the mail so so far I'm finding it really fun um everything for me has been a great fit so the fit is definitely true to size and the stylist is definitely going with a majority of things that that I like and that sort of work with the criteria that I gave um the first time I kept a really nice long sleeve striped soft top and a mustard colored cardigan that goes on top and it's got elbow patches on it which are kind of neat I don't have anything like that so I kept those two items the first time around I've already worn them several times to work in and out and this time around I kept a really cute dress again striped I'm kind of got a thing going for stripes right now but I've worn it with leggings and boots to school already there were a really great pair of moto pants, kind of green with some ribbing on them. And people on my Instagram stories love them, thought that I should definitely keep those. But the funny thing is they're almost identical to a pair that Kate Middleton has from Zara that I bought. So I have the exact same ones that she has, but they're way too similar to the ones that came. So it's great that my, uh, my Instagram people know what looks good on me and also that my stylist picked these out because they are something that I would want, but I already had them. Otherwise I would have bought those too. I will put some photos of some of the things I've received in the show notes for this episode at This Mom Loves ca slash podcasts and it's episode 11 but just keep in mind that my items are totally picked on my style profile and the feedback that I've been giving my stylist so yours could be totally different depending on what kind of items you're looking for and what your style is but it just gives you a little bit of an idea of what I've received and again I do get a little bonus if you sign up for a free first month using code this mom loves so if you decide you want to give it a chance please use that code and make sure you ask if you have any questions. Hit me up on social media, send an email, anything if you want to know any more about frockbox.ca. You can find me on social media on Twitter and Facebook at This Mom Loves. I'm on Instagram at Kate This Mom Loves. And of course, the website is thismomloves.ca. And I do love hearing from people when I get a tweet or an Instagram message, Facebook message saying, oh, I was just listening to your episode. I really like this part about this. Or, or I hope you're going to do something in the future about this. It really helps to, uh, to form the show. And I appreciate that a lot. In the lifestyle section today, I'd like to talk about giving back. And you may be listening to this at holiday time when it first airs. And giving back in my community or beyond and getting the kids involved is something that's always been really important to my husband and me. A couple of years ago, Olivia did her public speech for school all about how kids can give back. And one thing that's always been good with my kids is they've had a Moonjar money box, one of those piggy banks with three compartments for save, spend, and share. So they've had a little bit of money. Every time they get money, they put it in the three different compartments. So whenever something comes up, like there's a fundraiser at school or some sort of charitable event, they actually have their own little pot of share money, so they don't need to come asking us. I also like sometimes at school when we're doing something, I'll send a note to the parents to say, okay, the kids are supposed to have a dollar tomorrow for such and such. See if they can earn it. Tell them they need to earn that money. So it's not just always the adults handing over the cash. The kids kind of see that there's something that they need to do for it too. 
couple of years ago, my girls ran a cold drink stand in the summer and they donated half of the profits to the local hospital, which was great. And we talked to them too about being entrepreneurs, as you'll hear a little bit more about from Jenna Herbert later in the show. But, you know, we didn't think it was necessary that they had to donate every cent that they made for working all of those long, hot days in the summer. They kept half of their money, but then they did share half of it with the local hospital, which was, was really great of them. You can also encourage kids to use their talents. For example, um, even one of her friends did some baking and we dropped it off at the nursing home one day. Uh, if you can, child can knit, that sort of thing, even doing chores or errands for neighbors or other people. I've seen kids who have had birthday parties and asked for toys for a toy drive or even pet food for the animal shelter, that sort of thing, which is really generous of kids. I always get my girls to do a big purge of their rooms before Christmas time. So they have to empty out and sort closet, dressers, um, desk drawers, all of that sort of stuff, their bins, bookshelves, and donate anything that they don't need anymore. And they have to do that before they make their Christmas list. So the idea is clear out all the things you don't use that somebody else might have a better use for before you start thinking about what you want next. And anybody who knows me knows I love to purge stuff. I'm constantly <coughs> filling a box of things for for donations. We usually take our items to Vinnie's, which is the local St. Vincent de Paul store, but I'm sure you'll have something where you live, a place where you can donate all of your items. And again, holiday time, food drives, but even when it's not holiday time, I know um, the, the food pantry shelves get very bare because people tend to do things at Thanksgiving and Christmas and not so much the rest of the year. So keep that in mind. Um, a specific um, initiative that I'm helping with this year is the Shoebox Project which you may have heard of. So it was founded by Caroline Mulrooney and her three brothers' wives, Jessica, Vanessa, and Katie. And you may have heard of, of Jessica Mulrooney before. And the purpose of the Shoebox Project is to fill shoeboxes with items for women who are living in shelters or waiting for affordable housing and those sorts of situations. So you take a shoe box with a separate lid, you wrap the box and lid, or you can get a box, like a decorative box at the dollar store or someplace where it's got its own separate lid, and fill it with $50 worth of items that, that a woman might appreciate at Christmas time. Some of the things that are suggested to be included are something warm like socks, mitts, scarf, or hat, something sweet, nut-free chocolate or candy, multivitamins, body or hand lotion, soaps, toothbrush, toothpaste, hair things like shampoo, conditioner, comb, nail polish, mascara, lipstick, lip balm, purse-sized Kleenex or cosmetic bag, little gift cards are welcome as well. Some things that they don't um, want included in the shoe boxes are used goods or those little hotel samples. They really want these boxes to feel, to make the women feel special and loved and, you know, tiny samples or things that are used might not do that as much. Clothing with sizes on it, not a good idea because you don't know who's going to be receiving the box. Anything containing alcohol like mouthwash, hand sanitizers or candy. Things for the bath shouldn't be included like bath bombs or bubble bath because most shelters don't have bathtubs. Candles, razors, jumbo size containers and books. Something else that they don't want in the boxes is feminine hygiene products. And often people will ask, oh, well, why not? Isn't that something the women really need? But we're not looking necessarily for those really utilitarian things. We want the boxes to be filled with, with things that are a little more fun, a little more sign of love than something like that. Although feminine hygiene products can always be donated separately to shelters and, and things as well, because of course, yes, women do definitely need them. I will put the link to the Shoebox Project in the show notes at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts episode 11 
if you are interested. And there will also be a link for all of the locations for drop-offs. There are branches all across Canada and into the United States now as well. So if you want to find the closest place to you to drop off your shoebox, and perhaps filling an entire shoebox with $50 worth of items isn't something you're in a position to do right now. Keep in mind, you could always do it jointly. So maybe at the office or if there's a party, maybe you're getting together for book club soon or the hockey team's doing something. Each person can bring one item and put them together and fill a shoebox. And that's a, a great way to do it without as much of a cost to everyone. So again, I will have that information in the show notes. I'll also put a video of Olivia's speech on how kids can give back in case you're interested in watching or showing to your, your kids or students as well. I'm very pleased to welcome my special guest today, Jenna Herbert. She's the author of Make It Happen, The Creative Entrepreneur's Guide to Transforming Your Dreams into Reality, which sounds great. Welcome, Jenna. Thanks for having me, Kate. Thanks so much for being here. First of all, could you please share a bit about the story of your entrepreneurial journey with us? Absolutely. I, I don't know how far to go back, but um, <laughs> I, well, I realized by writing the book, I was always an entrepreneur. Even when I was a, a kid, I had little businesses that I started. And one of the ones I mentioned in the book is my brother and I growing up, we lived on a golf course. And what we do in the summers is we'd go down into the valleys and the ravines and collect all the mishit golf balls and then resell them to the golfers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Along uh, with my dad's beer. So we would, we would, you know, when we were young, gosh, we were probably about 10 years, 10, 11, 12 years old. And we would, we would sell my dad's beer that, uh, yeah, he would come home and say, where did my beer go? It's like, well, how much did you sell it for? And uh, we sold it for a dollar and he told us that was too low. Um, yeah. <laughs> But that was 90s. So children selling beer, <laughs> I think today that probably wouldn't go over so well. Um, no. But yeah, I always had that, that that spark, I guess you could say. And then my real business, my first real business I was started when I was a university student at uh, the University of Alberta. And that was, um, I was in a marketing class and we had to come up with a business plan. And I wrote my plan for a hypothetical belt company, which I called Booty Belts with a Z. And Booty Belts were these scarf style belts that I, I started wearing. And then I thought, oh, this could be a business. Um, so they were a simple design in the early days. I just would get vintage scars from Value Village and Goodwill, and then I would attach a little buckle to it. And my logo for booty belts was the bees back to back, which created a little butterfly. And, and these these belts, I, I started making them myself. And then after a while, I, I, I got, got some stay-at-home moms to help me with production because I just couldn't make enough of them. And then, you know, I exhausted my vintage scarf collection. And so I started buying um, bolts of fabric. And yeah, soon enough, um, I, I was still in Edmonton at the time. So I sold them to some stores in Edmonton. And then I would take business trips to Calgary and Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver. And so I was about, I was in about 30 stores when I had the idea to do the largest trade show for apparel in the world, which of course is in Las Vegas. And uh, so I, I convinced my younger brother Chandler to to come on board, and uh, yeah, I made him wear a booty belt T-shirt, and he wore it for one day, and it, it was these, of course, back to back. So it had the butterfly and the booty belt, and on, on the back of the T-shirt, it said "Shake it up." 
<laughs> so he told me, he's like, I will help you, but I am not wearing the shirt. Uh, and, and that experience, it was, it was very, very um, expensive to do that show. I think it cost me all in about $10,000. Wow. And I, I was probably 23, 24, like didn't really have any experience, um, but just had this big dream of making it happen. Um, so that, that trade show actually led, it wasn't until after the show, because during the show, I hardly had any orders, which was very discouraging. Um, and Las Vegas is not a good place to be sad. <laughs> good point. Good point. I soon realized I'm like this is not the place you want to feel this way. Um, but but then uh, soon after the show, the the old fax machine started to ring, and um, I ended up getting a, a department store in Japan ordering my booty belts for about sixty of their locations. So that was like the biggest order of my life. Like it was it was massive. And, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, that there's always these turning points in an entrepreneur's story. And, and for me getting that order was one. Um, so with, with that filled the order and, you know, had a lot of press and, uh, recognition because my, of my story, you know, starting from university, then doing all the stuff in my parents' basement. Uh, but then, you know, with fashion, I just couldn't reinvent the wheel. Like I had a line of bags called booty fly bags that were <laughs> reversible and they had, um, the, the strap, the straps were interchangeable and they matched the booty belt. So you could have a whole head to toe look. Uh, but I just, I, it was very challenging dealing B2B dealing with store buyers and intermediaries and line sheets and catalogs. And because I, I, I was so young, I, I don't know, it didn't take long for, before I got burnt out. And then one day a friend of mine asked, Hey, do you want to sell at a street festival? And at the time I thought, Oh, I don't know. My, my belt, my booty belts is a pretty prestigious brand, you know, I'm selling at these <laughs> top boutiques. <laughs> and I, I thought, well, it might piss off the store buyers if I'm selling at these festivals, but I thought, you know what, I want to try it. And it was such a great positive experience for me because for one thing, I got to actually sell my product to the person who was going to buy it as opposed to a store buyer who was just looking for trends. It was it was dealing with people who were like, oh my God, I love this. It's great. And that gave me a lot of encouragement. Um, so I started to just do any festival, craft fair, you name it, around the country. So I basically lived out of a suitcase for a year and a half, two years. And this would have been like mid 2000s. So back then, craft fairs weren't so cool as they are today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we've come a long ways. Uh, I mean, Etsy was was new and even social media uh, was, was brand new. Like there was no Instagram even, which seems shocking, life mm-hmm. without Instagram. Uh, but yeah, after doing a bunch of these shows across the country, I just kind of thought to myself like, Hmm, I wonder if I could start producing these things. Um, cause I, I reversed engineered like, okay, what do you need? You need a venue. You need to, um, you know, you need to sell booths. You, then you just basically market the crap out of it. And that became the formula and, you know, started the first show it was really small with only about 25 exhibitors. And, uh, and I started the first show with a friend of mine and then it wasn't long before my, my brother Chandler, same brother who wore the booty belt t-shirt was like, (laughs) Hey, there's all these guys that come to your show, but there's nothing for them to buy. 
and he was right. There, there wasn't really anything for men at the craft fairs back then. Um, so he, he came out with a line of t-shirts and, you know, basically had a monopoly right off the get go. And then his eyes really opened to the potential of this business. Um, so I had to make the hard decision and end things with my first business partner. And then my brother and I got into business and founded Make It. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of like the, the first part. And then, you know, over the last 10 years, Make It has grown and now we're in three cities and we have each show, we have over 200 Makeys, we call them. And yeah, I mean, we, we I think in a year we, we attract over a hundred thousand customers too, which is pretty incredible. That's awesome. So right back to the beginning of your story, you started with, you know, some childhood experiences as an entrepreneur. So for all the moms or maybe dads who are listening right now, how do you think parents can support kids? Because obviously there must've been something in your home to kind of encourage you or make you feel like you could do that. So how can we support our kids to have that entrepreneurial spirit when they're young? I think when my parents found out we were selling alcohol, they weren't, it wasn't their proudest moment. <laughs> no, not so much uh, but, that. You know, I think they were probably impressed. Uh, yeah. And another one of the stories that I share in the book is my brother and I started making bookmarks and then taking the bookmarks door to door and selling them. And again, my mom's like, okay, next time ask me, I'll come with you. Um, but it is in the 90s. Things were different then. Um, I, I would say if you do have a child who has that creative spark, get really curious about what that is. Um, because the, the other entrepreneurs that I interviewed for Make It Happen, they all shared that, which I thought was fascinating, that this entrepreneurial gene or whatever it is that makes people want to choose that makes people choose this path, it starts young. And I feel like with any sort of talent, like if your child's musical, if your child, you know, is a natural athlete, it's it's important for parents to really see these, these talents and take them seriously. Uh, because I think a lot of times, um, I don't have children yet, but just from, you know, my friends that do, and just, you know, being a child myself, (laughs) um, a lot of times it, it's, it appears that maybe parents don't always take their kids' talents seriously. Um, but I feel like now, just as consciousness has shifted and people are becoming more aware and, in a way more sensitive, it's really exciting because, you know, children really are a future. And when you have that talent to take an idea and make it real, it's such a valuable resource. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now in the book, you have a chapter about discovering your formula for making it happen. And I mean, all of these things in the book kind of encourage entrepreneurs out there to, to get out there and do it themselves. Can you speak a little right. bit to some of the components of your personal formula for making it happen? Yeah, well, the, what I I did a lot of research for the book because I didn't just want it to be my story. I wanted to actually have some facts and have some concrete evidence. Uh, and then I, I was looking into goal fulfillment, manifestation, all those topics, and you know, diving, going deep down the rabbit hole. And what I realized is there's not. And I mean, I kind of knew this all along, but there's not one formula that's going to guarantee success. Like you could, you could do all the right things, so to speak. Um, but if you don't shift your mindset, like the mindset, I can't 
I can't um, express it enough how important that is having the right attitude. And even when, even when stuff happens that you don't really want to happen to actually be able to see it as a blessing. So for Mm -hmm. myself, like I, I'm very sensitive to energy and I like to be in a very comfortable place when I'm creating. Um, I also need a lot of support and encouragement. And I think that's the reason why I've been able to be so successful with make it is because there is built in accountability (laughs) because, Mm -hmm. you know, we have these shows and they got to happen. And I have hundreds of artists that would be pretty pissed off if they didn't. Um, (laughs) So for me personally, I, I need that accountability built into my formula some people might not need it so much, but for me, that's important. Um, and again, just being in a place that, that feels good. And, you know, with the self-care, we hear about it so much these days. And I think there's some misconception, like self-care is not just about getting a pedicure and taking a bubble bath. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Self-care is being really aware of your emotional state and knowing when to push and when to back up off a little bit. Because when you're an entrepreneur, I'm sure you know, Kate, because you're an entrepreneur and your listeners know, because they're entrepreneurs too, I'm sure a lot of them, um, it is possible to work 24-7. It mm-hmm. really is. There's there's no shortages of, of things to do when you have your own business. Uh, but if you do go too hard for too long, your nervous system and your body will start to shut down and you're not serving anyone when that happens. No, that's an excellent point. And you know what? I'm going to jump ahead to a different question right now because it kind of tags on to that because you offer some great advice in the book too about setting boundaries, which kind of connects to the whole not not working 24-7. So can you share a little bit about that and why that boundaries are important? Uh, well, boundaries, the higher you get, um, and, and how the analogy I used is a spiral staircase. It's not just a regular staircase. It's a spiral. And the reason I, I stress that so much is, you know, I, I've started new businesses in the last little while and you really do start from the bottom. doesn't matter how high you are, how successful, how wonderful, all these things. When you start some, something new, you're not starting at the very bottom, but you are starting at a bottom. And, and an, uh, an example I, I love is even Oprah, when she launched her network or her magazine, it wasn't a cakewalk even for Oprah with all the resources. Like there's probably no one else on the planet with the type of resources Oprah has. Um, but you know, with, with own and with a magazine, apparently it was a huge struggle to start. So I, I like to remind myself that all the time. <laughs> Yes. If it took Oprah a while to get rolling, then it's okay for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so when you are kind of going up that spiral staircase, you know, it's like you kind of start from the bottom and then you move up a little bit and then it's like, okay. And then you kind of figure out where you, you, you get your, your bearings again. And then it's like, from there, you can go up a little higher because the higher you get, the more important it is to have those really strong boundaries. And so you can think of the spiral as one that gets a lot narrower at the top. And what I've learned is even the bandwidth you have for friends and even social stuff. Like I used to go to all the things all the time and it was fun and it was exciting now I'm very selective what I go to because my time and my energy are such a valuable resource. And I, I, I know other people, I know Marie Forleo, who probably a lot of your listeners um, are familiar with. She has this saying, like, get on the no train. 
And at first I thought, well, why would you want to say no to everything? But what, what happens when you first start out, you have to be a yes person and say yes to everything to get those opportunities. But once your business starts to catch on fire and you start to, to move faster and faster and get that forward momentum, then it's really important that you, you create these strong boundaries for yourself. Um, because otherwise there's just too many shiny objects and you're going to get frustrated and you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out a lot faster. And what about emails when you're running your own business? Are you one of those people who doesn't do emails evenings and weekends? Do you have certain hours? Do you shut the phone off? How do you do that? Uh, it, you know, truthfully, it kind of depends on the season because with make it show season, which is my reality right now, just mm. finished have Calgary next week, then Vancouver right after. Um, it's not as realistic for me just to shut off, but I do, I, I do set boundaries, but they're a little bit later and maybe a little bit on the weekends. But I do think that practice is important. Um, because one of the sayings, I, I don't know who coined this, but we teach people how to treat us. And it's very true. If you are one of those people who's responding, you know, every, after a few seconds, um, to every text message, then you're training people that you are super, super accessible, which can serve you maybe for a short period of time, but that's not sustainable forever. And you can't be super accessible to everyone all at the same time. There's just not enough hours in the day. And also what, even to write the book, um, I had the privilege, I was able to go to Bali for about three weeks and really um, get quiet and kind of take in the magic of the island. I don't know if it would have been, well, I'm, I'm not going to say it would be impossible because I know I would have just had to have been stricter with my with my boundaries. But the, the tension that you need to do a creative project versus, you know, answering emails, it's a far different state. Uh, so if you're going to do a painting or write a book or do whatever, you really need that quiet in, in a time when you don't have any interruptions. And uh, that's only created if you decide that you're going to create it for yourself because the world wants to interrupt you. Good point. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I really related to another point that you made in the book. You talked about make it before you're ready. And you said, to start this journey, you don't need to have all your ducks in a row, not even close. And I really related to that in connection to my podcast, because when I decided I wanted to start, I did a ton of research and there were certain you know, technical things I needed to learn and, and that sort of thing. But then once I had enough to get me started, I just thought, you know what, this is never going to be perfect. It's never going to be you know, exactly what I might want it to be for my very first episode, but I have to just jump in there and do it. And I'm glad I did. But I think there are a lot of people out there still struggling because they've got these creative ideas. They want to do things, but they're just not quite ready. So why do you think people struggle so much to be, to be perfect when they start? And, uh, and how can you encourage them to get going? Well, I, I think it's amazing that you went for it with your podcast. Um, and you've obviously had quite a bit of success with it, which is even more challenging. Cause, <laughs> but at the same time, it's because you stuck with it. And, and that's really the magic formula is sticking with something. And I know pretty much everyone I talk to wants to have a podcast. But what differentiates you from, you know, the masses? And I, I think it's you have to want it bad enough. And you have to be, you have to be comfortable with the discomfort <laughs> and it's never going to feel great. Like, you know, full transparency. Like I've been dealing with a lot of stress lately. Um, I mean, it's good. It's like the books come out. It's gotten a lot of publicity. I have the shows I've had some staff turnover. Like it's just a lot. It feels like drinking from a fire hydrant <laughs> and 
some days I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to get through it? Uh, but I've trained myself that even though it feels weird and uncomfortable and my stomach can be in knots and I could have this, these feelings, it's going to be okay. And, you know, that comes from the more spiritual side of things like the practices like meditation. And, you know, one, one thing is just being super aware of what's happening and knowing that it's not permanent, but it's gonna, it's gonna suck for a while. And that was one thing I really stressed in the book because starting is easy. And when you start, everyone's so excited for you and you post on Facebook and you got tons of likes like, Oh, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to launch a podcast. Yay. Go, you know, go Kate. You're awesome. You can do it. Like you get so much encouragement in the beginning, but then it's sort of that tundra of the middle where nothing, you can't really there's nothing really sparkly or celebratory or fun or it's just a slog. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. It's a slog and it, it doesn't feel nice. And you're like, what the F am I doing? And you know, a lot of times your friends can't relate, your family can't relate. So you don't really, ha- unless you're part of entrepreneur groups, which I think are, is a fabulous idea to get some, some support. Uh, but you know, the, the middle, it's very easy to just disappear. And what I, what I equate it to, it's like quicksand, you can get stuck and it can pull you in and pull you in and pull you in. But when you are in the middle and you are having these feelings of like, I don't want to do it. This isn't fun anymore. That's when you know you're onto something. And when I was writing the book, like I had so many days where I thought, why did I ever decide to do this? This was a stupid idea. I don't even want to do it anymore. And I just thought, well, maybe I'll just do, maybe I'll just do a podcast instead. Like (laughs) I just thought, no, I don't want to do it anymore. And then something clicked in me. I'm like, well, would I regret it if I didn't? And the answer was yes. And if that's your answer, if you're going to regret it, you know, I, it sounds harsh, but you got to suck it up and just, you got to keep going. Yeah. And you mentioned also in the book, the importance of cultivating an attitude of gratitude. How do you do this in your life? Um, cultivating an attitude. I, I think it's having that awareness and also just filling your mind with as many resources as possible. Like I think, you know, people binge on Netflix. I think you should binge on self-help and you should binge on anything that's motivational because, you know, we really become what we feed ourselves and that's not just food, like that's information. And I, I like the term like brainwashing myself because sometimes that's what it takes. Like if I'm in a very challenging, um, position, I will just, one podcast I really love, it's on NPR and it's called How I Built This. And, uh, the, the host, his name's Guy Raz and he interviews like the founders of Instagram and Sarah Blakely from Spanx and the founders of Airbnb, like all the top names. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting is they all have very, they all, they have, have patterns and what the patterns are is having the idea, launching the idea then it's hard. And then something bad happens. And then another bad thing happens, another bad thing. But then they, you know, they, they pivot a little bit and then they pivot a little bit more and then they meet the right person. And then the right opportunity comes like out of all, I've probably listened to all those podcasts. There's not one that it was easy. (laughs) And you know, when you look at celebrities or you look at anyone famous, like nobody has this easy story of rising to the top. It's all about the perseverance. 
And another interesting thing you talked about in the book, um, you mentioned that when it comes to looking for a mentor, don't ask someone to meet for coffee so you can pick their brain. <laughs> so that's a, that's a pet peeve. So what would you say is the right way to go about it? If someone kind of has their eye on a mentor, how to approach them and how to go about it? Well, and, and I mean, it all depends on your relationship with someone. If you have a, a closer relationship, that's probably an appropriate thing. But what you have to realize is the people that you, you want to be your mentor, they're the ones who are higher up on the spiral staircase. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones who are setting strict boundaries on their time and on their energy. Uh, but that's not to say that they're, they don't want to help you. It just means that they're going to be harder to pin down. And I really feel that when you go into something with, with generosity and, you know, and, 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 wanting to, to serve them. And you might think, well, that's weird. What can I do to help someone who's already successful? You know, you'd be surprised, uh, you know, maybe like just, just to offer something. And I mean, if it's not one of your own services, it, like, you know, maybe at least take them out for lunch or, <laughs> you just know, a just, coffee. Right. And the whole pick your brain, you know, or maybe it's a 15 minute phone call because like for myself, you know, if, if I'm in show season, like there's, there's no way I'm going to meet anyone for Like I hardly see my close friends. Um, so, but you know, someone was a really, was really sincere and genuine and said, you know what, I would really love to chat with you. Like, can you spare 10, 15 minutes on the phone? I would say, yeah, sure. That make it like, I think the key is making it easy for them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And just being really generous in your approach and, you know, follow up with even, you know, even something like maybe you offer them like a free yoga class or, or just, you know, and if you're a jeweler, like maybe you, you just give them something. Um, because what, what happens, I think when you get more successful, people just real like think, Oh, well I can take advantage of them. They've already made it but you're still a human. Yes, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. feel nice to be, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have. Like I'm sure even to bring Oprah up again, I'm sure even Oprah appreciates a thoughtful gift or just, um, and it doesn't even have to be a material thing, but just something that recognizes, you know, anything that she does to help someone else out. Well, this has been so much fantastic advice for all those entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs out there. Thank you, Jenna. The last question I want to ask is something I ask all of my guests. Do you have a favorite thing that you could recommend to listeners? It might be an app or a drink or a beauty product, something that, that you recommend that they could go out and try. Uh, one app I, I really love, it's called Read It For Me. So readitforme.com and there's an app as well. And what it is, it's a book summary. So they summarize, it's mostly business books, self-help books, but they summarize them in 10 minute videos and audios. And it's a really, really great way to absorb a lot of information without a lot of effort because you can just watch these 10 minute videos. And it's, it's also great because if there's a book you think, oh, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? And then you can listen to a 10 minute chunk. It saves you a lot of time. So I, I would say that is something that's been really helpful for me. That's great. I haven't heard of that one. Thank you. Well, I will have a link to, uh, to get more information or to purchase Jenna's book, Make It Happen, The Creative Entrepreneur's Guide to Transforming Your Dreams into Reality. And I will also have links to her site and social media accounts on the show notes, which will be at thismumloves.ca slash podcasts. And this is episode 11. Thank you so much, Jenna Herbert, for being with me today. Oh, thank you, Kate. Great questions.
And that is it for this episode of This Mom Loves. As always, I would like to thank my editor, Lucas Wojcicki, and remind you that information from this episode will be at the show notes at thismomloves.ca slash podcasts. And this was episode 11. There will be a link to sign up for Frockbox if you're interested, as well as that discount code, a link for the Shoebox Project and all the information about that, the video of Olivia all about how kids can give back, and some pictures as well of my Frockbox items, just in case you want to take a look at any of the clothing that I have received. Just a reminder that it's always so helpful for you to subscribe to the show, for you to rate it or review it wherever it is that you listen. And even just word of mouth, if you just tell a friend, maybe show them how to listen to podcasts if they haven't done it before, or any little shout out on your social media channels or sending someone a text or an email just to let them know about the show can be really, really valuable in helping other people find it and helping this mom loves continue to grow and to be successful. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, have a great week.